I mentioned earlier that we were privileged to have with us Samuel Chu, who currently directs the National Advocacy and Organizing for Mazon, a Jewish Response to Hunger, and uh, the leading local and regional campaigns around issues of food and insecurity and access in, in various states. Samuel is also a fellow at the Center for Religion and Civic Culture at the University of Southern California, where he engages in research, writing, and teaching around community organizing, public leadership, and the role of religious institutions in social change. He previously served on the pastoral staff at Emanuel Presbyterian Church, but we let him in here anyway, in Los Angeles from 2002 to 2009, a multicultural social justice congregation on Wilshire Boulevard. It's really an inspirational congregation. And served as executive director of California Faith for Equality and California Faith for Equality Action Fund as well. Samuel has been um, working with Mazone and KI to um, help us organize, which is part of what we're doing this evening, so you can all be organized, to um, be a part of a campaign that we are launching soon here at KI that I'm going to let Samuel tell you about because he's the expert in it, but it's, uh, we're very excited because it's something where, an area where we think we can really have an impact on the community and the lives of homeless youth. It's my pleasure to invite Samuel Chu to share some thoughts with us. Shabbat Shalom. They do let me in. They do frisk me before they let me in now. Um, thank you for, uh, for those of you who I had an opportunity to meet and speak to just a few months ago. Uh, I want to apologize ahead of time that I, I did not come to declare that anger ha uh, hunger has been eliminated between the last few months. Uh, it still exists, as it turns out. That's why I'm back. But I think it's important on a day like this, on a Shabbat like this, where we are welcoming from the youngest to the slightly older to the slightly older, and remembering those who are sitting and standing in our midst, but also those who have gone before us. As it turns out that ending hunger is a long fight. I came a few months ago to talk about the kind of challenges that exist in America and in Israel about why Mazon exists as the organization that exclusively focused on ending hunger in the United States and in Israel. And I talk about how that this is not about a matter of economics or logistics. We've gotten those things down pretty well. We have enough food and we have the mechanism to transport those food to the people who need it. But what has always been lacking is the collective will of the people of this country and community like this to be able to say that, you know what, we cannot accept and tolerate any longer that people, children, and families would go hungry in this country. And I don't always put the blame, as I said last time, on communities like AI because the greatest barrier to action is that we simply don't know where we should start. We get overwhelmed when we're told that 47 million people, including children, are hungry in this country. We get overwhelmed when we think about the fact that the food we donate to Food banks and food pantries only amounts to about 2 to 3% of the solution of people who are struggling to make ends meet. But as it turns out, 
like the journey from Exodus, from slavery to freedom, from hunger to sustenance, mazon. It is a long journey. Because along the way, there are seas to be crossed, there are roads to be tread, there are babies to be named, bar mitzvah and bar mitzvah to be have. There are blessings to be learned and given and memorized. There are laws to be given and practiced. There are leaders to be elected. There are tribes to be gathered and people to be counted. All of those things, standing alone as a simple independent act, as an individual experience, might not amount to a lot. But as it turns out, together, they define the experience and the journey of a community from slavery to freedom. And so that's what we've done in the last few months. Rabbi Rubin, Laura Diamond, uh, Jane Goodman, and Michelle Ross, who's here tonight, has been chairing this task force to say that we're not going to end hunger in three months in America. Not even in Pacific Palisades, believe it or not. But we're going to start somewhere because there are steps to be taken. And that the general desire of being free, of being a community, of addressing and repairing the world and feeding the world and the hungry has to turn from intention into action. And so over the course of the last three months, we've gathered and sat around the library table and have discussed about the story and the story and the experience of KI and the leaders in the communities here. And here's what we came up with. KI has always been a community that has a heart for those who are in the foster system. There's a program here that mentors those who have been entered into and now then released from the foster system to make sure that they have not only the support relationally, but places and relationships that guides them in their transition into adulthood. It's not very different from actually having a bar mitzvah for kids coming out of the foster system, of ensuring that they belong somewhere, that they have a story, and that their presence is counted somewhere. And as we begin to dig into the issues, we begin to realize that there are, in fact, over 200,000 youth that runs away or are forced out of their homes in the state of California every year. 200,000. A small percentage of them, about 18,000 of them, actually go to school as homeless, unaccompanied minors. And at minimum, 3,000 of them every day experience extreme hunger. And I want you to take a moment just to think about that. To think about the 200,000 kids that because of a variety of reasons, because of neglect, because of abuse, because they got pregnant, because they're gay and lesbian or bisexual or transgendered, are forced out of their homes. And that in the moments when they're most vulnerable, where our government, our community have set up a system to allow them to get federal benefit of food stamps, they're denied that benefits every day in the states. And so we dug in a little bit deeper. We said that we want to start somewhere. It is not the world. It is not everybody who is hungry in the state. But it is a population that we believe should be served and should be protected. 
And so in partnership between Mazone and KI Hunger Task Force, we put together a legislation for the state of California that specifically instructs the county and the school districts and the nonprofit agencies that any unaccompanied minors, when they come in for services, when they come for help, has to be serviced immediately. And that there's no age limit to their benefits to food stamps, that there are no ID requirements, that there are no residence requirements, that they're not going to be denied because of these qualifications that actually does not exist in our federal legislations. So by the work of this community that you are leading in this state, we're closing the loop of access to healthy food for potentially 200,000 unaccompanied minors. These are the folks who long to be counted, who needs a story, a community, and a family. There are two parts to this work that we're actually just launching now, as Rabbi Rubin was talking about. The, the legislation is currently in the legislature in California, working its ways through. Uh, just on the outside, we have some postcards that you can take with you and some information about what this bill does and why it protects the most vulnerable among us. So that's the first part. We want each of you to be counted this evening. The second part is much more local and more specific to Los Angeles. We know that just because some law passed in Sacramento doesn't mean that all the people who work with this population in the county, in the school districts, in our partners and nonprofits understand how to best serve them. So in the fall, we're planning to host a meeting here at KI to bring together all those people who are serving and protecting and feeding this particular population to make sure that we have the best safety net programs here in Los Angeles County. That can not only serve this community, which has the largest homeless population in the country, but other counties in the states and other states in the country. I was remembering and thinking about this whole initiative as I was talking to Michelle and, and Rabbi Rubin, and I was remembering a story. I, as Rabbi Rubin said, I actually grew up Southern Baptist. Um, so I, it's even more um, foreign than uh, Presbyterian. I think my family thought I had left Christianity when I converted to Presbyterianism. So um, we don't talk a whole lot about my um, religious affiliation these days. But I was preaching at a church in Stockton, California. Some of you might have been there. It's now known as the largest municipality in the country that has declared bankruptcy. It used to be the asparagus capital of the world but now it's better known for other things. But a family who also immigrated from Hong Kong, like I did, uh, who lives in Stockton, welcomed me into their family on a Saturday night before the Sunday service that I was preaching at. And I had known this family for a long time because they were families, friends with my father, who grew up in a very difficult, as an orphan on the streets of Hong Kong. He was the last of his family died when he was about 11, and so he was left at a tailor shop as an apprentice to work and live, uh, essentially as child labor. He ran away, actually, after the first year, and for a number of years was homeless on the streets. 
and then became a janitor at a Catholic high school. And it was at that point that he actually met this family who later immigrated to Stockton, who I then had dinner with in 2005. It was them who actually took my father in night after night to feed him so that he can take the money that he was earning as a janitor to go back to school. I was shocked and and really in awe as I was sitting and listening to the grandmother and the mother recount those days when my father as a teenager sat at their dinner's table. They were not wealthy. They were not well off. They had barely enough to feed themselves. But they insisted that every night at the end of his shift that he would come and eat with them. The story of Exodus is about the truth and the core value of who we are as communities, that everybody counts. It was not simply about a count of who is more important and who gets a voice in a particular decision, but it is the counting of individuals in the book of Numbers where everyone has merit, has value, has capacity, has gifts, and everyone has a responsibility. And so there might be a lot of numbers, 47 million, 1.6, 200,000, 18,000, 3,000. I can give you all the numbers. But our invitation and my challenge to all of us and to you tonight is that can you be counted? that the homeless and accompanied minors on the streets of Los Angeles and the state of California long to be counted. And in a political culture in this country where we're counting as a way of excluding, we say to people that if you want to vote and have a choice and have a voice in your political future, you should provide a legitimate ID, actually two of them, if you want to vote. We say to people that if you want to get help, you got to demonstrate how desperate and poor and desolate you really are. And we ask our homeless minors to show us their IDs, give us their parental information and a home address when they simply want access to food. That is not the counting that we're talking about tonight. And so I ask and invite you to be counted. Pick up a postcard, pick up a one-pager, talk to Michelle, talk to Rabbi Rubin, talk to me. Counting is really important. The book of Numbers shows us that counting every single person in our community is important. I want to close with a personal story. At that very same dinner in Stockton in 2005, after I had heard the touching story of how this family had fed my family and my father when he was homeless, they went, went on a description about something that was totally unrelated. They said, Samuel, you know, it was so sad that your sister died when she was so young because she was so cute. And I know that they were just reminiscing about the days where they remember. Little did they know that my family had never actually told me that I had a sister who passed away right around the time that I was born. 
And I remember sitting there at the dinner's table, being grateful of all of a sudden realizing at that moment that, oh, it all makes sense now. All those little experiences of people talking about things that didn't seem to connect, stories that didn't seem to have the right ending, things that came up that despite the best effort of my parents, taking away what must have been a tragic and sad memory and occurrence. I remember thinking to myself, as shocked as I was, that I felt finally that it all made sense. My life and who I was and who I am today could not have made sense the way it does without counting everyone that was part of my life and my family. That the presence, and in this case, the absence of someone who was so close to me and yet so unknown and so foreign were critical and central in the growing up that I had to go as a person. And that's the same challenge that I now want to extend to all of us. I wish that you be counted, that you would give meaning by your counting yourself as one responds to hunger, that you would give meaning to those who are hungry, that you would give meaning to this community in KI, that you will give meaning to each of us as our communal response to those who are in need. Thank you for allowing me to share a few words, and I'm so grateful for all the families, for Joseph, for, Joseph, for Sydney, for Marcy, for Francis, and for the Shorts, for letting me be a witness of you being counted. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Thank you. Thank you.